Wait, so Jamie, how many times have you ordered takeout yeah. in the last week? Oh, so I'm actually on a very, um, I'm on a budget. Okay. I'm trying to save money because nice. I'm moving. So I mm. only allow myself to do takeout twice a week. And usually it's on weekends. So Friday is Sushi Friday, no matter sushi what. Sushi Friday. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And then Saturday or Sunday, I, I try to decide which. It's usually Saturday and then Sunday I meal prep again. So mm-hmm. what do you uh, two usually to meal three prep? three times a week. Oh, man. I have so much food. Um, I'm actually getting <laughs> tired of cooking. I, I love cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but during the pandemic, I've actually hated it. Really? Uh, because of the dishes. There's just so many dishes. Um, so now I just like kind of eat to survive. Um, I am like kind of reverting back to college days, and I'm like 33, where I'm just like I'm just craving cereal. <laughs> so I eat a cereal, uh, and I make like a grilled cheese. But I make like a lot of like pastas, Asian foods, uh, Mexican food, um, almost everything. Honestly, that's what we've been doing too. Like, Gio has been cooking a bunch of tacos because yeah. it's super simple. So he just gets guac, salsa, and everything. And I make a lot of pasta these days because I'm trying to hit. For me personally, like our whole apartment, we're trying to we work out a lot these days. And for me, I'm trying to eat 3,000 calories a day. So like, I'm trying to get all that carbs and protein. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, Johnson's also vegetarian, so it's even harder for him. Yeah, so, so. it's even more wow. difficult for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I inexplicably like. St- became like started intermittent fasting i don't know i think it's also because i was like i didn't even intend to like i just don't eat until like 10 and then when i eat dinner well i haven't eaten dinner yet so not tonight i get hungry at like five so it's like early bird dinner and then i'm like done for the day (laughs) (laughs) i'm the same i don't eat till like 11 or 12 so pandemic has definitely changed our diets and habits um and like helped us like understand ourselves too. Wait, can you also mm-hmm. comment on, do you feel like you're on the good friendship right now? Like, is this like the same format? Like where we're talking with friends and all that stuff? Yeah. Like format? I thought we're just shooting, shooting the shit. Like exactly. let's just talk about like. <laughs> Whatever shit comes life, to mind. <laughs> life, what happens, what's happening in your world, the world at large. And then like, I think the pandemic too has also been interesting in terms of understanding yourself because like, you know, we, we don't really see anyone else. I mean, I live alone. You guys at least have roommates. You get to at least live, you're almost like real world style. Um, you guys are probably annoyed of each other by now, but also it's nice to have somebody um, to just talk to. But we don't have that spontaneous interaction. Like I missed the office. Like I missed the person that like I would just see in the kitchen or like in the hallway because I can't just like shoot them a text. What's up? Like that's, already so intimate but i could you know just take more effort Ugh, i miss the office yeah i was gonna ask like how has your experience been like living alone during the pandemic because i know like you said i live with Gio. we live with three other roommates and we talked about me and Gio talked about this multiple occasions he used to live yeah. by himself and he told me like if he was living alone right now during this time he thinks he wouldn't have been able to like been okay yeah. or like you know just like get through it by himself. So like, what has, like, how has your experience been? Yeah, I think because I'm reaching the one year mark, I've unfortunately adapted (laughs) to that. Um, I'm an extrovert. 
I'm a social being. I love being with other people. One of my top love languages is physical touch. So I used to just always hug people. Um, so I would say the first 40 days into the pandemic or the quarantine, that was the hardest for me because I was actually counting the days. I was like, oh, wow, it's like day 14 since like I've seen somebody. And then day 31, since I've seen somebody and anyone has ever like touched my, like, like my back. I'm just like, just you have like a back. paper with like a tally mark or like, how- no, but I just like mentally, I was like, okay, 31 days. I was like, when are we going to get out of this? They kept saying two more months, yeah, two more months, yeah. two more weeks. And I actually broke down. I think that was the, the worst moment was probably like late March or early April where I was like, you know, this loneliness feels different. And it, I was like, oh, this cycle um, is just hard um, and I need to adapt. What I did, I mean, I cried. I just, I, you know, I had a tent at the time. So I would just cry in my tent. I put it in my living room because it was kind of like my oasis of like comfort that I had to build. Um, And I filled it with, you know, a weighted blanket, Um, just a bunch of different things. Yeah, it was, and I think just realizing that I had to ask for what I needed from my friends and that I would have to almost increase my other love languages, like quality time, but through FaceTime. So I made a conscious effort to do that. Remember when everyone was just like always FaceTiming? Still, I mean, to this day, right? We have Zooms and everything. I mean, um, right now we're doing this over Zoom. So it's, yeah. like, the new age. it's like the new thing now that but we have I, to do. I think I also kept like a journal of like, the one year of like in March, April, and even May, I would FaceTime my friends like four to five times a week. Like that was a lot. Now I'm just like texting them. I'm like, hey, let's do a FaceTime every other week or something. But over that, like we was like, let's play a game. Let's hang out. (laughs) (laughs) Like everything became like an activity. And that was like kind of fun because like we didn't know how long this was going to last. Um, and then words of affirmation, like I needed more of that. So I would just ask my friends like, Hey, this is what I actually need from you. Um, can you give it to me? And, and I mean, once we were able to go outside, like New York started to get warmer, I would just ask my friends to just put their hand on my back. (laughs) Cause that was like the only fucking touch that I would get. And I'm like, okay, I was like, please just put your fucking hand on my back. I swear I have um, a hand sanitizer in my bag or something that you can use after. Like, it's fine. Like, just, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. here's a glove. <laughs> like, wear your mask, wear a glove, or just like, literally, just like, I don't know. It's like, just like, poke me, me a little bit. <laughs> just just like, poke here, me I'm here. Back. I'm here. You feel present. human. You <laughs> feel human. That's, um, um I, I felt a similar way because when I went in for a COVID test, that was the first time I left the house in a long time. And when they stuck the thing on my, my nose, I was like, wow, no one's touched me in months. And that's the first time someone touched me. So I think yeah. I can relate, right? It's, it's, it's very yeah. like, it almost like hits you so hard. You're like, wow, that was like a physical human touch. And yeah. something you took for, we, we take for granted. Took all of it for granted. Exactly. Like I, I love hugs and like, I mean, think that like we can just like see each other like and, you know, wear masks and be in the same vicinity or hang out outside. Um, but yeah, that was hard. But now I think that with the one year mark and, you know, vaccinations are coming, it'll be a different lifestyle. But I also don't know how I'm going to 
I mean, I was in a Whole Foods, so like social distance from people, I had to pick something up. But even just being in that setting or like just grocery shopping and there's someone near me, like I don't even know how I'm going to like react Interact. to like with 30 people in a room. Like, ew. And then bullying alley shouldn't even exist anymore because you just like put your fingers in the bowling ball. <laughs> and then remember like back then we would just like bowl, but then eat and then bowl, eat, bowl, eat. Yeah, like, bowl, eat, disgusting. and we would, like, drink oh and, like, take shots, and we, like, high-five each other. Oh, man. <laughs> like, that's not... Ew, I can't believe we did that. <laughs> that was, like, yeah, no, because you realize a lot of the things we did pre-March 2020 were so unsanitary. Like, <laughs> using, like, just going out into the world and doing certain things, like eating pizza with your hands when you're in, like, a dollar store. That was, that's, yeah. that's sometimes, like, unsanitary, too, right? Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think hopefully the thing that will stick after this is just like people washing their hands. <laughs> Basic, but That's, like, they please. should. <laughs> it's, it's I more hope on everybody the, keeps that. Oh, yeah. It's more on the dudes, I think, because a lot of dudes are really gross. So hopefully all the dudes wash their hands leading, leading after this, right? Um, yeah. And you said you were moving. So, so did you yeah. decide to not live alone anymore? Like, what happened there? Oh, no, I'm still living alone. So there was a point where I was like, I hate living alone. And then I think there was a moment in time during pandemic when everyone who had a partner or roommates was kind of annoyed over their roommates. And I was like, I love living alone. alone. (laughs) I just needed the ability to go out on my own time as a choice, as Mm -hmm. an option to be like, okay, I can see some families or, or some friends um, and I'll alternate every two weeks or something or create some sort of pod system. Mm. But then I can just like revert back into like my own safe space um, and my own. Yeah, I'm just like living alone was cool in that regard. Uh, but having it be because now I'm freelance, having it be my office, my living room, my exercise, I, I lightly very exercise, so a stretch area the meditation area. Uh, I can only walk from my, my room to my living room to my kitchen. So I was like, I need to get out of here. Um, so I'm looking for a two bedroom apartment, which I'm still going to live in by myself. But the second room area is going to be my office. Hey, if you're, ever, if you're looking in Manhattan, let me know, because I actually do real estate. So let oh, me know okay. if you need any help. So I'm looking in looking, green. I, green I found yeah, I'm looking in Greenpoint because right now I'm in Astoria. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to find something, hopefully, 90%. I just got to see it and sign it. Uh, and hopefully that pulls through. But, yeah, that's so you what mentioned, I mean. So you kind of mentioned earlier, like, you became a contractor, essentially, and worked from home and everything. What I think Gio told me that you made that decision during the pandemic. What kind of led you to... Yeah. Do that or and commit and make that jump. Yeah. So I made the decision to quit Vayner. I was at Vayner for eight years uh, as a strategist. Um, it was my first and last. I said it was going to be my first and last agency. Uh, I decided to quit actually and had the conversation with Gary uh, at my seven year um, check in with him. So I was like, hey, like, I really love that I got to the director level. Um, but I also know. 
I also know that I'm ready to leave. I just don't know what I want to do. And he's like, okay, figure it out. I'm like, okay, I'll figure it out. And I didn't know until probably September or November of 2019. And it was on my trip. Uh, I knew I wanted to leave. I was like, I am going to leave soon. I'm going to leave soon. And I was on my trip in South Africa. Um, and I did some work with um, a coach uh, who helped me figure out my purpose in life, which was I want to help change the world. And it's just so broad. I was like, I want to just help change the world. And it was because I watched Wonder Woman. And after that, I had this energy around it. I call it my soul beeper. I, I just knew that was like my calling to help others. I just didn't know how. Um, and then I figured out like, I want to help change the world by helping other people change their own worlds. And I, you know, I went into, men, uh, I was really interested in the health, mental health space because I've been in therapy um, but I also knew that like, you know, there's more to mental health than just one-on-one therapy because, you know, that's what everyone thinks it is, but it's more than that. Um, so when I was on this trip in South Africa, I was like, <laughs> like, I think I was like on a, um, on a ride, I forgot what it's called, but like seeing all the animals and a safari, safari, uh, on, a, <laughs> on a safari, <laughs> I was on a safari um, and we were just like waiting in the Jeep. And I was like, uh, I think I, w- I want to quit because I want to actually pursue something in the mental health space. And it just felt like, right. I, I can't even explain it. So that's like my other soul beeper calling. And then when I got back to the States, it was like uh, right before uh, holiday vacation, I spoke to my CSO and it was like, at 5.30 p.m. the Friday before everyone was going on break. And she's like, oh, what's up? Are you, is everything okay? <laughs> uh, and I'm like, I, I know we, we've had this conversation before, but I'm ready. And she's like, okay, so like, when are you going to quit? I was like, April 2020. And I said this in December. I was like, I'm giving you a four-month notice. <laughs> and she's like, wow, that's enough time. <laughs> um. But like we just had that kind of relationship, which was I am super grateful for because she's a CSO. And then also, you know, Gary, too, was on board and also Claude, who is the who is the CHO, which is head of HR and culture. Mm-hmm. So I've had, you know, one on one conversations. And I was like, oh, mental health. Um, I put the date for April and then COVID happened. I was like ready to bounce. Uh, April came around. I was supposed to leave April 15th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think April 2nd or whatever. I, I was like, um, I don't know what's going to be happening with this COVID thing. Um, and I don't think I'm ready to necessarily leave yet. Are you okay with, you know, still taking me on? Um, luckily, they were like, yes. Like, we still, like, we'll keep you on. Just give us a new date. So I was like, you know... September, maybe September will be better. <laughs> um, you know, and time went went by, but I think my experience of being at Vayner during the pandemic was actually very helpful in me in, in, in terms of, you know, working through um, anti-racism, mental health, community care, um, because I was able to, again, understand what I what my calling was when it came to or purpose was 
when it came to mental health. I was like, therapy, yeah, everyone should have it for sure. But it's such a 1% product. It's expensive. Yeah. The supply isn't there. When you double click into intersectional identities and what people are looking for uh, as a one, as a queer woman of color, I couldn't find other therapists like that. And so there are, you know, financial and then also like uh, identity barriers when it when it came to that. Um, so uh, I, you know, rewrote my purpose and I was like, I want to help other people change the world by helping change, uh, helping people change their own communities. So it's like very micro one on one um, thinking of, you know, pod mapping and then also thinking about everything that you have in your that's in your life, you can change. And those people in it are people that you can help change. And it just becomes like an exponential effect that like a lot of people don't think that they can make a difference, but then you can literally make a difference based on who is in your life right now and like who you talk to, the communities that you are part of. And so I was like, okay, it's not mental. I mean, mental health is one of it, but like, I want to focus on community care. I had a conversation with the founder um, who I now work for as freelance. Um, she's the uh, CEO and founder of Poppy Seed Health, not necessarily for a job, just for like career advice. And she's like, when are you leaving or when are you planning to quit? And I was like, September. And she's like, okay, I, I want to give you advice. You've been working for like 10 years. Try to take at least 30 days off. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Wait, so take 30 days um, off of like not doing anything, just sit Not doing like, anything. So yeah, post-quitting. what I ended, yeah, post-quitting. Wow. So September 15th. So what I, I ended up doing, I was like, okay, 30 days doesn't seem like enough. I'll do 45 days. I ended up doing 90 days. Oh, sure. What'd you do during those 90 days? It was, okay, so it was like a roller coaster of emotions because the first 30 days, it felt like a detox. Like, imagine working, 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 hustling, hustling, hustling. You work, like, 50, 60 hours a week. You just know, like, the schedule and the rhythm. Uh, week two felt like, you know, like a vacation, right? You're like, eh, whatever. And then by week three, you're like, what do I do? I have too much time. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what I like. I was like, who am I? I, I felt like I had an existential crisis. You had, like, a whole internal dialogue, I'm assuming, where you, like, because you said you had a journal. So were you just like writing your journal every oh. day and, and like figuring out like what you were feeling in those moments and like reflecting on the day before then reading like three, two weeks back and all that stuff too? I Yeah, I, I, I themed it out because at the time too, I was going through like my first uh, queer relationship with a woman too. And then I was also, it was very transitional that period like September through October. Like I don't even know who that what happened well I do know what happened but it's just a specific time in my life where a lot of change happens and I can't even like point to it it's like a lot of internal like shedding um and I think at the time it was like shedding the things that no longer served me but also selecting and, and choosing the things that that um that do um and I think, like, to your point, like, I think I had an existential crisis because I was like, who am I? What do I do? Who am I without my job, first of all? What do I like to do and what do I enjoy? I was like, oh, I'm a writer. But, like, for some reason, I couldn't write. I, like, had writer's block. Um, I started 
getting into rhythm, I was like, okay, let me just start new routines because I have all this time. So I started playing basketball. Uh, Every morning, I was uh, just shooting around uh, on the courts, which was cool. Um, I got back into cooking. Um, I, again, was journaling. But for me, I was basing it off my energy level. So the thing for me was like, listen to your body. And I think at the time when I was so strict on a, you know, nine to five or nine to seven, I would just like jolt up. Um, so I would create this list of like low, low lift, medium lift and high lift. So based on when I would wake up, I'd be like, okay, like what ener- what, what kind of energy do I have right now? Uh, do I feel like doing a puzzle? Do I feel like, you know, scooting around Astoria? Um, do I want to so play basketball? So would like doing a puzzle be considered like low and like basketball and scooting around be like a little bit higher? Yeah, basketball was high. Puzzle was high because it just, it just like a lot of like mental a lot thinking. Of mental thinking, a lot of effort just to like put out the puzzle. <laughs> That's true. It's tough. Um, maybe it was a medium high. And then I am not a reader. Um, so, but I, but I think I, what I was craving and what actually happened was like I lost my curiosity somewhere along the way. Um, and during that time I found this, well, we found this concept called the beginner's mind, which comes from Buddha Buddhism, um, which is like approach everything, like you're doing it for the first time. So everything should feel new and everything should feel like you're learning something new. So I feel like I got that wonder and curiosity back and I learned so much shit during that time (laughs) that, um, it made it clear once I got back to, um, you know, December-ish when I was ready to f- find a job-ish, um, what I should do. So I, you know, really wrote a very, very specific job description. I started practicing the law of attraction. The law of attraction is you believe that everything that that you, that is yours is already yours. It kind of just removes the fear aspect of things of like, uh, I think I'm on the wrong path, which is a, a common thing that I used to always believe. I'm like, oh, this one thing is going to hmm. veer me off to what, like now I'm like three steps behind. Or my reframe was like, well, actually this is the path that I'm supposed to be on. And how you get there is the way that you're supposed to get there. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw this on TikTok. So like the affirmation that really helped is it was about partnership. But now I just changed the word. It's like the partner I am seeking is also seeking me. And I release all obstacles that stand between us. And now I'm like the apartment I am seeking is also seeking me. And I'm releasing all obstacles that stand between us. Uh, the job that I'm seeking and all that. And it's been like wildly, I don't know if it's because of that or I'm just like believing it and not being scared of it, of like the unknown. I think I'm such a planner. Uh, and for me to quit, um, even though past Jamie planned for present Jamie to not work, once I got in it, I was like, what the fuck, what am I doing? I was like, past Jamie told you you're going to be okay, that you you don't have to work for three months. Because the, the thing about also working from home, for some reason, I saved a shit ton of money. 
So what I did with that money, I was like, this is my fun. You support me while I'm like incomeless. So like, don't worry, you have three months, you have four months. You don't have to think about like a job right now. Um, but I kept worrying. I kept thinking about like, oh, money, money. And like, I feel like, I don't know why, maybe it's like millennial, but also like Asian culture of like, hoy, you must save your money. Like, why are you spending money? Hoy, hoy. And I'm like, oh my God, I get that so much. My parents hit me with that so much. Um, and so you were talking about how you had like all of these shifts in mindset across, you know, that those, that three months that you were also like resting, mm-hmm. right? You were also like trying to like figure things out. What was actually one of the most interesting things you've learned? Because you mentioned that you learned a lot of shit. What did you oh. learn? What did I learn? I learned... Um, Besides like, you know, topic. cooking, like what's like the most top three things that stood out to you the most? Yeah, I mean, I think one of them that's kind of been that I'm big, uh, that I'm exploring, which, you know, people in my life know is I am exploring um, a non-monogamous relationship style. Um, and that was pretty therapeutic for me, I think, of just understanding uh, non-monogamous relationship structures. Like I listened to a lot of podcasts about it, read books about it. I follow, I went to uh, like a coach on it. I went to a workshop about it. I went talk to just a bunch of different people. Um, And I think just like realizing that part of myself during that time, like it just led me to more um, abolitionist thinking and also just like liberated thinking of like anti-capitalist and being anti-capitalist. The decolonization of the mental health space. There was just so many overlaps that it led me to the same idea of community care. I was like, okay, community care and relationship structure. Relationship anarchy was the thing that led me to like um, believe that like friendships is actually um, nurturing intimate relationships is a form of therapy or not a, and is a form of mental health. I have a quick question. What, what does it exactly mean, yeah. like, relationship anarchy? Really? Yeah. Yeah, so relationship anarchy, um, right now, that the way that society has taught us and that mm-hmm. we've learned and been conditioned to is the monogamous <clears throat> relationship structure, um, which is usually centered around romantic partnerships. So, like, the romantic partner should be the one that gives you almost everything in the world. You look at Disney, like Prince Charming, right? And the princess. You look at every type of TV show and movie and book. And it's about two people, something about love, some quest for love. And like the happy ending is this person that you're supposed to be with forever and ever and ever. And the relationship anarchy actually breaks that and, and, and levels it out. Like definitely read the relationship anarchy manifesto. It it has like some principles in there, but it removes the romantic partnership from the middle and it became, it becomes almost like equalized so that whatever relationship you have with the person is just as unique and just as intimate and valuable as you, as you decide you want it to be. So it's not necessarily defined by like 
you know, we're just friends or like, we're just like, I don't know, like friends with benefits or this person is my girlfriend, boyfriend um, or partner. Um, it just, it, it just makes, it puts the value back on the people to define it as they want to define it. And it also shows that you can have very important and nurturing friendships too. That like, yeah, it just opens up different love styles and lifestyles. Um, and that again has the thing that I learned that made me want to do that good friendship because um, platonic intimate friendships are like, no one really celebrates their friendships as much as like, you know, when you have a partner in your relationship, you know, you put on the status and everyone's like, yay. But you're like, okay, this is just one relationship type. Like, of course, it's nice to have a partnership that has sexual, physical intimacy. But what about everything else? Like, I love <clears throat> the friends that I have and like they're going to be my quote unquote life partners like forever um and they know parts of me and you know it's I, I think practicing that too with my own friends during that time to just like revisit and then practice communication styles has been so helpful like asking feedback from my friends on like hey what's what's my feedback style um or how do I respond to feedback and also is there anything you want to give me feedback on Mm-hmm. And like I've never had that with like we do feedback reviews right at work, and we always like are like always caring like always wanting that. But like, what about the other relationships and and all the other things in our life? So <clears throat> I would say relationship anarchy for sure. Uh, different communication, um, intimate conversations that we can that I could have with friendships, um, and a lot of reframing of just. Um, Mental health, like how to show up and be there for friends and how to actually ask for things. Uh, I think one conversation that I had with uh, one of the polyam people was just like, oh, I feel, ne- I, I was like, oh man, I feel needy. And she was like, yeah, you're not needy. You have needs. I was like, oh shit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> like, sorry, what's polyam? You- She's like, sorry. I know. Polyam is yeah. uh, polyamorous. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a relationship. Uh, oh my God, I'm going to butcher it. It's a relationship structure. That means you can have more than one intimate, romantic, and sexual partner. So you can have an actual relationship. So, like, if you have, there might not be hierarchy, but if you are with a primary partner, you can have a secondary partner or another partner mm-hmm. that you're like, if you're married, you can have a boyfriend, girlfriend. Okay. And it's cool. still like a true relationship. And then you were talking about earlier how relationship anarchy is when you kind of give people certain levels, like a value of that's deeper than just like, from what I was getting here, because this is all new to me, right? So I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So it removes like hierarchical value. So I think um, a lot of the time, you know, in the dating world specifically, um, we get kind of trapped on the relationship escalator, mm-hmm. which is the escalator of just like milestones in relationships. Say you're talking to a person for three weeks, right? You went on four dates, you get anxious or you're just like, okay, like 
Okay, let's go see. Let's see what this is. Six month mark. They're like, what the fuck? What are we? <laughs> it's like, are we exclusive? <laughs> are we exclusive? Yeah. Are we? Are we living together? When? When is the appropriate amount of time to have sex? When is the appropriate appropriate amount of time to say I love you? When? When are we gonna? be in a relationship. And then once you define it, you're like, when are we going to get married? And then once you're in that, you're like, when are we going to have kids? When you're in it, you're like, when are we going to buy a house? Like, it's so like, it's like a Bible. But not different a lot different of levels. Yeah. Different levels. You're just like going up that relationship escalator. Mm. But there are some relationships that don't necessarily need to abide by a relationship escalator. That if you have a relationship and it's like intimate, um romantic has some sort of platonic feeling too um and the depth is there but you don't necessarily think that it will escalate then you're like cool we're like really good friends um who sometimes like maybe fuck around (laughs) or we're really good friends and we have this romantic vibe but like sex isn't on the table Mm um and then that is your relationship. You don't need to be like, oh, are we going to be partners? Or like, as long as you um, communicate where you both are and specific agreements, specific boundaries, like there's so many principles within polyamorous world, non-monogamy, that in terms of relationship communication that I now apply to everything. Like, the communication style is so transparent. It's direct. It's it's clear. Um, it creates a safe space for trust. Um, you give space to each other too. If you're not able to have a the conversation at that time, you can say, which is wild to me, that like maybe this is, hey, I hear you, and I want to be able to respond to you versus react because reaction is just like a a, a thing that we are. <clears throat> kind of conditioned to based on our past experiences. If you're like, I want to respond to this, but I need time to think through it. Can we talk about this at another time? Like being able to ask that in the moment, because when when either arguments or conflict arises in a situation, a lot of temper tempers can arise. And like, you can say things that you might necessarily not mean. But yeah, if you need to argue, argue. But then you create space and time between it between the person so that you can sort through it or work through the situation together when you're both, you know, through it. So the relationship uh, communication has been uh, groundbreaking for me um, in my friendships and then also like at work and then also like you know, in romantic or, or different types of relationships. So then how would you apply this to your, so for example, if you want to communicate um, how you feel about your friend, um, how would you do that? Like, how would you start off that conversation in a certain way? Cause you said you were also asking about like, um, like they have like, cert- you have certain, like, I lost my train of thought. Let me ask this again. There are certain part, part portions that you mentioned that you said like, Oh, like I need some like words of affirmation. Do you just say any words of affirmation? Yeah, I say it. Okay. Yeah. There are three, like, I actually did, like, a, um, not, like not, not necessarily a, a test. Um, I think I just, uh, when I was in a moment of need, or I felt needy, quote unquote, or I felt like I needed attention 
um, because I, it was at the point where I couldn't necessarily self-soothe anymore. And I knew that I needed someone to listen to me without giving me advice. So, so that's one situation where I'm like, hey, I actually need um, someone to talk. All right, I want to talk to you about something, but I actually just want the space to say it and not necessarily hear your opinion about it. Can you, are you available for that? And I was like, yeah. There are some other friends where I'm just like, I need you to send me 30 TikToks because I need funny shit. And um, can you please just send me a bunch? And they're like, on it. I'm like, I'm feeling kind of down. I need something. Um, uh, can you send me like, a few of the a few songs that you're listening to right now. I just want to like hear something new. Um, before I would get like kind of mad when I would be sad and I'm like, why aren't my friends checking up, checking in on me? But I do have a few friends that are like, oh, Jamie hasn't like, she's in hermit mode. Uh, we should just check in on her. Um, and my two friends that I FaceTime with, they were both like two days ago, they're like, oh yeah, we realized that like you weren't necessarily like responding as much. Like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I saw the text and I just like didn't have the energy to, like I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And I think we're all facing a pandemic wall, but like personally, I saw the text and I was like, I don't even know what to say. Like I have, I know exactly what to say, but I can't even like fucking type it out. And I was like, I like, if, I was like, all I wanted to do was type a period. And they're like, okay, if we type a period, we, that's when you know that you actually are in hermit mode. So just type a period. I was like, cool. So now I'm just like, all right, if they're like in the group chat and I'm like, I see you guys, but like, I can't respond. Now I know to just put a period. Um, so yeah, it differs by different friend groups, but I've learned to ask for what I need. And even as, and I have, uh, difficult conversations, I've realized that like, I can't necessarily respond um, without thinking about it first. So like in the moment, I'm like, okay, like, I don't really know what to say. Can you give me like 24 hours or 48 hours? And then like, we just go back to shooting the shit. We just change the subject. I'm like, wow, that's cool too. <laughs> Because um, I've never had a, a situation where, like, when, when I'm having either an argument or a, a, a more, like, deeper conversation with a friend to just put that on pause and then just, like, resume, like, what are you eating for dinner? You know, it's just like, oh, I'll, I'll talk to you in two days. And then you, like, don't talk. So, so then how <laughs> did all that, how did you foster that community amongst all your friend groups? Is that something that you always set as a, like precedent when you first start meeting people it's like hey this is me i'm jamie this is what i like to do and then how do you communicate that because i feel like when you meet new people they don't fully understand who you are first so you have to kind of ease into it because sometimes people come up with energy and everyone's like whoa shit i can't i can't deal with you and they don't want to talk to you so how do you how do you kind of give that off yeah i mean with my already friend groups uh, we have a good enough relationship that they kind of know my style and i'm like oh, come on I'm a Pisces rising and I'm a Sagittarius moon. So I'm very dreamy and in my feels, but I'm also an Aries sun. So I'm very fucking fiery. 
so they just know that like okay jamie's like in her moment and like i just have become quote unquote the friend that like can kind of hold that space for any type of friendship across all my friend all my friends for new friends um i i don't know i think it's because uh i've made a lot of actual new friends in the past year in the pandemic of people i haven't even met in person you know um and you know through facetimes and then through conversations i've actually attracted the same people who are kind of like like me in the way that like we talk and that the communication style is kind of the same and then mm-hmm. we work through it you know sometimes i don't even know like you know family stuff of some friends but then i just or parts of their history like we just talk about like philosophical big ideas creative jam sessions and um it still feels like a very close relationship to me that like even the two people that you know Amela and Amanda who I started that good friendship with like I haven't met them in person oh, you haven't but wow. like we I haven't <laughs> I didn't know that so <laughs> oh, wow yeah I met Wait, so them. how do you how did you meet them yeah uh so Amela I met a year ago, I was introduced to her because um, she works at a program for coaching and I was trying to decide if I wanted to become a coach or not. And uh, we had a phone call and we were both like, oh, you're cool. Oh, you're cool. Um, and then we just, just like, followed hit it each off other. Perfectly. Like literally hit it off. And then we followed each other on Instagram. And it was wild because I went on sabbatical, my own sabbatical. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go off instagram because like i need to detox from everything on instagram and she slid into my dm she's like hey i was actually just thinking about you like i really i have this friend amanda who i think you would really vibe with um and then we just started talking again and then we started a group chat and amanda is actually one of the formative moments within my sabbatical because our conversation uh, it was like a FaceTime walk through Astoria. She's an SF. Um, it was like an hour and a half, probably two hours. And uh, I was like, I want to, like, I, I'm looking for my curiosity again. And, she, and then she's like, okay, and then go get it. And I was like, okay. And then like, I don't know. I felt like I got it that day. <laughs> like for some reason, what? it was literally that simple. It was like our conversation. She's just like, yeah, you can do that. And I was like, okay, like for some reason, I, I believe you. Um, and then we went into your group chat and then we just talked about different relationship styles, friendships, um, what we're reading when it comes to friends, um, how we manage our own friendships, um, surprising our friends, sending audio notes to our friends, sending gifts to our friends, uh, writing handwritten notes, just like gestures of care. Um, just to nurture friendships. Um, and yeah, so we started doing that and we're like, should we just start something about like friendships? And so we did. A little that, bit on pause right now because we have like our life, uh, life is happening right now. But uh, we're all just like, hey, if it happens, like once we have the energy to, like it's not going to be something we ever force. Um, because at the root of it, it's, it's still about like, obviously our friendship and then let's figure out like what we actually want to do with it. 
like on one of our previous episodes, like Gio and I talked about friendships a lot and how like me personally, I have like essentially like five levels of friendship. How would you define mm-hmm. a good friend in your words or how, yeah, how would you define a good friendship? Yeah. Again, I think it goes back to communication because I think, I still think of good friend who I haven't talked to in three years, but yeah. then we can just like, hit it you off. know, hit it off again. Or, you know, my texting friends who I text a lot, like almost daily. Um, and we just have that kind of like understanding of where we are, where we fit in each other's lives. And if we need more, then I ask them. Like, it's just very like trustworthy. Um, I haven't necessarily even ever had a, f- a friend breakup. Like I've, I've had, you know, people ask the advice for that. I'm like, I actually don't know because I've, I've never really had a friend breakup or, you know, lost a friend in that regard because I don't see it as a loss. I see it as like, you know, our relationship for what it was, was what it needed to be. And if we need to communicate that and hopefully there was no harm done, um then it's just like uh it's not even ghosting it's just like hey like we were in each other's lives and we were you know for that like maybe two weeks right or that two months that three months like I'm so glad I got to know you during that time and I'm so glad you also let me into your world and I'm here if you need it if you need me um but yeah I love making a lot of new friends and uh I think just yeah, commun- and all like I think communication can solve everything. I think that's my answer for everyone. They're like, "What do you think will solve the world?" Like communication. Communication. <laughs> just say what you feel in the moment. Better communication. Exactly. <clears throat> say what you feel in the moment, and exactly, yeah. also just say your truth. Yeah, from like yeah. our conversation today, it seems like what I'm getting is like you're very courageous. You you take no shits. You're very upfront about things, and you know what you want. Like like you said, like if you want you know, something more from your friends or, you know, from your job, stuff like that. Were you always like this or did it just kind of, as you grew older, it it kind of developed? Oh, as I grew older. And I think even just more so in the last like six months (laughs) or even year. Um, No, I I mean, we kind of, I'm just going to say this, we come from probably Asian households. You don't really say our feelings that much. No. (laughs) Or at least in mine, um, I don't know. I mean, the the love language of like, at least my household was just like food, right? Like, hey, did you eat? And that's like I, and the way that they say I love you. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard I love you that much when I was even younger or like from my own family. But it just wasn't said that often. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought of it until I got outside of my household. And, and that's why words of affirmation was kind of like low on my list. Words of affirmation was high on my list when it came to like, you got good grades, (laughs) you're going to get promoted, you're doing a good job. Um, But it it felt very transactional. Like you have to like get good grades in order to like get some sort of reward or recognition. It's like a transaction. It's like a transaction that you need to do in order to get something, right? It's like words of affirmation only come from a transaction and it's not out of a place of love. Because love language yeah. is supposed to come from a place of like, like for example, I know my top two are like words of affirmation and physical touch too. 
But the reason I have words of affirmation as my second is because I didn't get a lot of that as a kid. <laughs> so yeah. I know that that's why I want it now. Right? Hey, Gio, so yeah. why, 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 why didn't you get it? Why do you think you didn't get it as a kid? Because I knew I underperformed compared to my peers. Like in a way. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I didn't deserve or I didn't register. I didn't register the affirmation properly in a way. Mm-hmm. So they probably did it in like an indirect way. Like, oh, here's, here's a toy. And I probably didn't notice that that's how they did it. But there, yeah. there are certain ways that you, you don't notice it until you get older. Like, for example, the phrase, I love you. So many people outside of an Asian culture say that. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, that's... I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait. That means yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah wait. <laughs> <laughs> like, you hear that twice a year. And you're like, oh. You're like, oh, shit. And have you played the game Asian Flush by any chance? Game? No. It's I a, mean, it's I a, just know that I, I have the Asian Glow. I also have that. What is it? <laughs> it's a game where... It's a card game where you draw cards and it's like categories. It's like, for example, one of the categories in mm-hmm. the game was, hey, what's one thing your parents never said to you? And we all went in a circle to say, and a lot of my friends are Asian. So they were like, yeah, I'm proud of your home. I'm proud of you. And then another one person <laughs> said like, you did a good job today. Or like, thanks for cooking or thank you. Or like, you, you. you're a good son. And then mine was, I love you. And everyone started laughing so hard. And I was like, that couldn't have been more true. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And then I think it's, it becomes jarring too. as like, the Asian Americanness identity clash because like first gen right um you know I had to quote unquote assimilate and you know especially as I got older I didn't really um I wasn't as close to my Filipino Chinese culture beyond just like celebrating like the holidays right which holidays for Filipinos are huge and also for Chinese on my dad's side. I'm Asian American identity. Um, I did not realize my own Asian American culture and my identity until like I was like 28. And I like and I used to when I was younger, I used to always say, like, oh I'm banana, I'm yellow on the outside, white on the inside. And now thinking about that, I'm like, that is so fucked up. I was like, I hate that that was the thing that like a lot of my even own Asian friends even said growing up and that like we would want to just like kind of remove ourselves Mm. from our own like Asian culture I mean I didn't even remove myself intentionally but then I was like oh when I go to college like uh, I'll be like I was like essentially became like the token Asian and because I grew up in LA, everyone was like either Hispanic, Mexican, Asian, Armenian, like every race. Yeah, I didn't realize my Asianness until I moved to the East Coast of like how it became a stark difference. And they saw me as other. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was, you know, working and a lot of, I would get like slight comments so like, oh, but you're like the good ones. I'm like, what? I was like, what I don't even that? know what that means. Yeah, what does that <laughs> mean? Like, what? What does that mean? I don't like, 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 you know, the quiet, obedient fucking Asians are like the Asians of the model minority myth, right? Oh, just yeah. like you play within this mo- uh, of, uh, in this hierarchy of otherness or marginalized diversity um, of BIPOC people that like, oh yeah, you're good. You, you're really good at math. Or like, you're really good at studying. You're really good at delivering this. And I was like, yeah, 
But I was like, yeah, because I'm good at it. But then I started realizing the connotation around it of yeah. like, it was like oh, a microaggression because, yeah, it was a microaggression against like being Asian. Um, and one of my coworkers <laughs> at the time was like, oh, and he, I don't know if he what he meant by it, but it made me mad. And it, but it also triggered something in me to be like, fuck, I need to actually, I want to learn more about my. Um, intersectional identities because I can't split it but he was like what do you get more uh discrimination for for being a woman or for being Asian and I was like what oh, man <laughs> Wait, your, your co-worker asked you that that's so shattering yeah because it's like a yeah. double-edged sword <laughs> yeah yeah and I was like um I was like I can't even split that answer because how I have experienced life thus far and forever will be is it as an Asian woman I was like I can't split that like for you to even ask me that or to see which part of my identity makes me experience discrimination more like why aren't you asking dudes <laughs> why are you discriminating against this Asian woman um or like this the the system or you know whatever allows that to happen and I was like, fuck that. I was like, I am. And I, it, like, I, I knew I was always proud to be an Asian woman. But like in that moment, I was like 10,000% proud to be an Asian woman. I was like, I'm going to tear you apart. Um, yeah. Like, that still is just like a memory. I was like, wow, I can't believe he fucking did that. And that so, worked too. Wait, how did you um, tear him apart? Because <laughs> what happened after that? She chewed oh, him out. Okay, so I... Again, like I said before, in moments, I don't know how to say to th- say things. And I think I was at the moment of just being so angry, I could have cried. Um, which also at the time, I'm like, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> because that's also going to be a thing that I have to you know, um, manage. Because like, he's like, oh yeah, so she's a woman and she, I made her cry. You know? Oh, um, mm. And I... I was like, okay, I can't really do that. I was like, well, I don't think that's a fair, a fair question to ask because I have two, I have two of those identities, and I said it like very simply in that moment, and then just like removed myself from the situation because I was like, if I keep talking, I'm gonna like literally start screaming, and I don't want to do that because you're gonna probably just think I'm a fucking crazy ass woman. <laughs> so, it's like. Why, the amount of, you know, situations that I've had to kind of, like, push down, and it sucks, because I didn't even know the term of, like, um, especially now that I'm understanding my more, and owning more of my Asian Americanness, and I, and I don't say that I didn't own it before, but, like, the, I, I realized my own behavior of code switching, of, like, changing my language my behavior to fit a certain thing and you know I went to an Ivy League so I felt like I code switched there a lot to be like ah, ha, ha. but then it was like in a primarily white community and I still felt like and that's when I felt like quote-unquote other because I was like do they see me different and then mm, when I also okay. hung out like yeah it was just a a, a stark 
yeah, realization to go from home to East Coast. Yeah. I think um, I can relate to that because when I was in college too, because I thought I'm not even from this country, man. So I had to like fly from the Philippines to the U.S. for college. Um, and I thought I could mm-hmm. get along with people. Like, you know how you said you felt like an other, right? Like, did mm-hmm. you, you felt that because you were hanging out in what, a predominantly what, like white friend group, right? Yeah. Is that right to say? Okay. Yeah. Because well, I felt like, the same way. My, yeah. Um, my friend group was primarily like white, but um, I think later in college, I was just like, I need to find people who are actually diverse. <laughs> Because it was weird. I would just do things. And, um, you know, Filipino culture is loud, right? It's just being like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. And they're like, oh, <laughs> wow, that's weird. Like, someone was like, oh, Jamie, you're being weird. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not being weird. Like, that's just me. It's just your and culture. Yeah, that's, that's like who you are. It's my culture. What? It's like who I am. And I'm like, like, I'm sorry, you're very... Uh, it's a little bit like sensitive or (laughs) I don't know but I'm like okay like that's interesting so um yeah it growing through that like I, I definitely like I mean I go back to the banana thing because I was thinking about that as I've been reading so much more, especially with the Asian hate crimes that are happening now. And, you know, I've been very vocal about anti-racism and the black community. And then when this news hit, I actually felt like I, I didn't even know what to say because I felt like I was processing a lot of stuff on my own that I didn't realize that I had to process. Um, I was like, yeah, of course, like stop hit Asian hate crime. But we're so used to just like being like, oh, it's OK. It'll go away. Like, I don't know. Like, I was like, um, like, I don't know. It felt, it felt strange to me because I, my reaction wasn't as strong to be like, to, to voice it as much. And I actually went into a very silent mode and that was new for me. And I, and I wanted to process that on my own to be like, oh, like, you know, my own code switching behaviors. And then it came like flooding back, like all the things that like, that I brushed away before when people would, would always say ni hao to me on the street or like, you know, throw up peace signs at me um, in a working environment or, you know, when people would do slant eye and I, I just remember all those moments and that, you know, the microaggressions. And I was like, mm. and I didn't say anything at the time, you know, because out of either out of, out of fear or out of this, like, oh, whatever. It's, it's just a quote unquote joke. Um, I was going to say, like, I think so, it happens to all of us. Like, I think for us, we just kind of thought it was normal, I guess. Or just like, you just kind of brush it off. You're like, oh, like we've seen that a million yeah. times already. They don't yeah, really yeah. mean it or something, you know, like cheese or like, you just kind of brush yeah. it off. It, and I think I realized that too. Like looking back, I've had so many of those situations where people would do that and you just kind of laugh it off. But like yeah. looking back, we, yeah. we should have like kind of said something or at least just like, like voice or like, hey, like, hey, hey man, that's like not cool. Yeah. 
And no one does that. So, like we didn't do that when we were younger because we didn't know that we should have spoken up in that moment. And a lot yeah. of like our parents and our grandparents are like very much conservative when it comes to fighting back on things, right? I mean, yeah. my dad is not. He will, he, will, it he, will, he, will, he, will, he will fight back. Um, there's a story behind that. Like my father and my mother and I were on our way to a cruise ship. Um, and a lot of people that work on cruise ships are Filipino. So we look mm-hmm. like yeah. those people. <laughs> so we were walking to the passenger section. This is so, this is like, I still remember this so clearly to this day is that we were walking to the passenger section and the crew man came up to my father and was like, excuse me, sir, like this is, this is the lane for passengers. Like crew goes this way. And he blew up. He was like, yo, shut up. I'm a fucking passenger. And he like blew up. And I was like, huh. And I still never forget that to this day when it's like, yeah, you should probably speak up when something like that does happen. And it's like the moment is now for us to actually speak up about those things. We have to process it. Because like the the 25, almost 26 years for me now that I didn't speak up is now coming out and it's affecting our community, especially now. Because Mm -hmm. everyone's stuck inside. We can't do shit. And all these like people are getting hurt and the media yeah, stage media won't cover hurt. it. Yeah. They won't cover it. Like just the Navy vet that just happened. And he was, I just, saw, yeah. I just saw like an old lady who works for a pizza store and got robbed. And then she went after them and four of the guys just beat her up. And I was yeah, just like, exactly. That's not. <sighs> and they're like four, four yeah. like there's so many things that have happened recently. And I, a lot of these people were like, just by like minding their own business. Mm-hmm. And it just happened. Um, and that's what yep. was tough for me to process was because we're just trying to like, known as the model minority where we're, we sit back and we're like, yo, we're, we're just here. Yeah, we don't say anything. Yeah, we're just here. Yeah. We're just here, man. And then it's, it's so sad too because like elders in Asian culture are like, you, re- you give them the utmost respect, you know? Like it, it's such a, um, like how dare people attack these elders and it just feels like a cultural blow like it's both on a personal level but also on a, on a like a, as an Asian community it, it feels very jarring that like how dare you even do that to you know our grandmas our grandpas our grandparents and um, because now we're at the age we're like you know our parents could be that age when they're just like walking around you know, and I'm like, that's so fucked up. And um, yeah, I think it's the thing that we have to remember. And I've been, you know, listening to a lot more people in the space. Cause like, okay, I'll actually need to learn more before I actually can process and maybe learning more will help me process. Um, but as you know, millennials and like either first gen or second gen or, you know, whatever generation we are like, because we have more tools at our disposal right now when it comes to um, mental health, communication, uh, different frameworks, um, even like the power of social media, right? Like we are the generation that can actually break the pattern. Like if you think about it, like our families are so used to not talking or standing up for themselves or just like trying to protect the family unit, right? Um, but now we are part of the generation to like break that or like to make it better. And I think that is such an interesting notion because there are so many of us. And if we work again in solidarity, 
um, learn anti-racism work, understand like how we can actually help our community, then like we can then pass it on to the next generation so that like if they ever see something, they know what to say or they know how to um, to stand up for themselves. Um, and, you know, maybe our grandparents are like even like three generations above us. They probably did it, but like we were so... Um, you know, coming to America is like assimilate to the culture. You want to make sure that like you, you know, move up the ranks. So just hush, hush, be quiet, do your job. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, they came from countries where, where, you know, they were fighting for that. Right. So now that, now that they came here, it's like, oh, make sure that you like do a good job and you don't raise any flags. Right. I mean, I'm very generalizing here. Um, but that's like the most of it. Yeah. But now that we are here, we're like, we are Asian American. Like we have two identities and two cultures that we want to like make our own. And we are going to not stand for like any type of racism. Like how do you make the next anti-racist generation, um, in you know America, so I think that's an interesting. We are in an interesting point in time. It's unfortunate that there are so many hate crimes right now, um, and yeah, there's a lot of action to be done and uh, to change that because um, it's how do we become uh, support or fight Asian. Cr- fight anti-Asian crime without having to point to uh, without being anti-Black. Because if you look at like the the people who did some of the crime, it's Black people. But like, we don't want to be like, go get them cops. That just perpetuates the whole system, again, of model minority. Of just like, it's not Black people that we need to be pointing our fingers at. It's a whole system of oppression of, of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. The fact that like the communities are not funded properly, they don't have their basic necessities. That is why a lot of people have to quote unquote steal from everybody else in their community is because they don't have housing. They don't have rent. We're in a pandemic. No one's getting any stimulus help. So it's like beyond that. So it's like, how do you also know that there's dualities to both? Right. That like, from a very like hate crime by itself is very bad, but also you should know the larger picture of like we're in a capitalist system and literally the lower class is just like, or the lower middle class is just fighting amongst yeah. each other. It's like we're getting yeah. duped out. No so we can't even, we're getting so duped out. it's a whole systemic thing, which is why it's so hard oh, to solve the issue. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody wants to just point to one thing. That's the easiest I mean, that's the easiest thing to like rally behind, right? We can point to that, but there are so many things to point at and it can get convoluted, but like truly it is like, if you want to point at something, it's like white supremacy. (laughs) Johnson, go ahead. Go, say what you're going to say. No, I was going to say, I think like right now is the, you know, is the time with, you know, we have so much resources that we Mm -hmm. can utilize. And it's like the time where we should come together as one and unite together, you know, support one another, educate one another and not to bring each yeah. other down, especially minorities. We, if we come together as one, if we're able to show that we're strong together, we're able to, you know, be able to help other people understand what we're going through. 
and from there we can have a bigger voice. You know, because if we're just one yeah. Taiwanese Filipino, if we all come together as one, I think more people will be then will be able to kind of listen to us or take us seriously. It's yeah. kind of like my thoughts. Yeah, it's like yeah the whole and I think that this is yeah, the whole BIPOC community. I think there's, um, I mean, we're seeing this too. I mean, we haven't, I haven't necessarily even been able to have this conversation with my own friend groups yet because I'm just like, okay, I, I, for some reason it's taking me longer to process it and to understand it and, and my own voice and, and figure it out. Um, <clears throat> so I think there's like an awakening happening through almost every generation of like Asian generation as more people talk about it and they have this conversation. So I think the first step is obviously awareness to it, right? But then educating people so they understand, you know, what are the resources? And um, I saw this quote, whenever you learn something new, don't be mad that like you didn't know it before. And then find the people who do know about it and then amplify that. It's like, I can't be mad at myself to be like, why didn't I learn about Asian American history when I was younger? I'm like, I don't know why. Like, I didn't. So let me learn about it right now. Who are the people that are leading that who have done it? And let me amplify the fuck out of it. Because again, (laughs) back to like my own community care and what the impact can be if I don't know about it, somebody else might not know about it. So sharing that resources. Um, and talking about it um, and then figuring out courses of action, whether that's, you know, donating, volunteering, um, you know, protesting, all of that. Mm-hmm. It's all, it's all doable. And there's, there are people that, there's some people that are like, oh, sharing a post on social media isn't helping, right? I've seen these posts where they're like, oh, if you share stuff on social media, you're not really helping, you're not doing anything. And I'm like, but do you think that's true? Cause I don't think that's true. Cause I feel like, you're still educating yourself, right? So that's still yeah. helping in a way, right? I think there's a, yeah, I think you can share, but there are other people who just do it for performative reasons and they don't really have the intent and they kind of want to look like they're doing stuff. Um, I mean, they're con- when it comes to like yeah, anti-racism work, there's the education part where a lot of people like start, right? They're like, I'm reading this, I'm immersing myself, I'm following all these people. But when it comes to actually practicing it or doing anything that has impact, then, I mean, if you look at um, uh, almost like a resource guide of like how you can actually make an impact, there are people who are like readers, right? I was like, okay, you read all the books, but like maybe you hold like a quote unquote book club, but then you hold discussions around it. And then you have some sort of agenda around it to be like, what did I learn from this book? Because there are people who aren't readers like me who need that information. So like, what can you do with that? That's your superpower. Now go do whatever your superpower is for reading. And what can you do with that to educate somebody else? There might be somebody else who, um, you know, is great at drawing or great at creating graphics. I'm like, okay, your superpower is that. That's your skill set. Can you make very complex information look good so it's shareable on Instagram so that more people can see it and that more people can do it because, like, reading something is fucking hard. And there's people who are like, I'm going to protest the fuck out of this. I don't like to read. And I'm like, 
cool. We need more bodies out there. We need powers in number. Go protest. Like there are just certain things that people are good at, but I do not like people who are like, I'm all this. And then they like go to brunch. Um, and they don't like, it, it's not something that they practice. You know, it's very like, that think, is performative. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like but, they're yeah. trying to play into the mold of mm. a trend and it doesn't help the situation. Um, and that yeah. doesn't help anyone. <laughs> and there are definitely people around there that think they're helping, but they don't realize it, that need to know that they can help in certain ways. As you said, play to yeah. your strengths, right? Like if you can draw, draw, play if you can strength. speak, speak, if you can protest, go protest. Um, and I think that's like really evident in a lot of people that have come out. Like yeah. they have like the Asian, what was it called? Asians with attitude. I follow that page. That page is dope. Mm. Um, they basically oh, cool. were the ones that helped, I think, um, escort the elderly in Oakland. Mm. That was like, oh, okay. yeah. They helped like escort them to like places when all the attacks started to spring up. Yeah. Um, so they like do patrols yeah. and stuff. And that's just like volunteering. That's also a form of volunteering. Yeah. Um, yeah. Form of volunteering, like call banks, phone banks, text banks, anything to where, again, play to your strengths. And I think also too, because we're probably starting at very different levels. Something that I've learned is that like, there is no like perfect way to do it and you will fuck up. Like people sometimes are hesitant to even start like being like, oh, I want to speak up on this, but I might say something wrong. It's like, you might say something wrong. And if someone calls you out on it, invite that feedback. Mm-hmm. Nothing I'm wrong on you. You say, oh, thank you for your feedback. I didn't know that. And, uh, and then say like, I am accountable for what I just said. I recognize your feedback and, and, and this is what I'm going to do about it. Like, it's just very like, be open because there are people that know better than you. For sure. And then that you will probably know a little bit more than somebody else. How can you coach them and invite them in? Um, and then, oh man, we can go all into cancel culture, but like transformative justice, <laughs> right? Where like, how do you actually give the opportunity for someone to, to learn and grow from something? Um, and, you know, we all come from very, very different life experiences. And like, I can only speak to my experience as a Filipino Chinese 33 year old queer woman, you know, like I cannot speak to anything else with certainty. (laughs) So open yourself up to feedback. And if you get it, learn and then like be accountable for it. So I think that's a very big part of anti-racism work. Um, and communication as, <laughs> as 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 the running theme is um and you mentioned that um i know that you have a blog on me a blog on medium right and you have like all these yeah, stories yeah. um if you were to pick one of those stories on medium that you'd like to share what would it be because there's so many on there that i read that i'm just like holy shit these are all great but i want to pick your like brain it. and see what you like the most um, maybe this is more recent, but probably my first essay about coming out. Mm-hmm. And I don't even, and now I would actually change that title because I don't believe in coming out because the the status quo and norm of everybody being cishet um, or cis heteros- mm, heterosexual. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 more about like, and I even said it as a line in my essay was like it. it in order for me to come out, I had to come in. And it was like a inner journey versus an outer journey. So I think the first essay in that anthology 
for sure um, was is one that I would probably say like I hope everyone could read and then the other one would be probably the one about betrayal like the first part because that at the time was very I mean it's a heavy topic but not not so much like for me now but I think the idea that um, when it comes to breakups you know, and the trauma that comes with betrayal and the things that you'll need to learn through that um, was was very big for me. Um, so again, big moment of like 26 to what, 28 for me uh, in that regard. Um, yeah, I think those two have been my big ones. And I have taken a break from writing because I feel like everything's too fresh right now. And I feel like if I... And I used to not ever be like, oh, I'm just going to write it, like, even if I'm in it. But I don't think I'm ready for that yet. And I usually like to give space to things now as I get older. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I have a shit ton of essays that yeah. are just lined up. I mean, I got to talk about relationship anarchy. Ooh, that'll be a good one. <laughs> you, you have a really – the way you write is so eloquent. And it just – it's almost like you're next to me speaking in my ear. And I'm like, oh, God, I hear her emotions through the page right now. Um, like I was reading the one about how you accidentally sent the text about to your coworker. Oh yeah. And then, and I was like, Oh my God, this is like a telenovela drama right now. And the way you were describing things was so succinct and I just could hear everything that was going on. So then how did you grow your writing? Like, how did you learn to write that way? Is that just how you speak? Um, I think that's how I speak in my brain. Oh, uh, I, I always journaled. So I think because I don't know if this is actually a good way of living, but um, I think of myself in three different ways sometimes. And it helps with like also self-reflection. Uh, when I'm the narrator, um, I can kind of direct, you know, the scene. And like, I think of sometimes when I'm living life, like, oh, this would make a good story. Which is like, eh, hopefully, like it just happens and I'm not like fucking subconsciously just like narrating my life. Um, and then sometimes I'm the author. So when I, when I think of myself as the author, I just think of myself like I can literally make anything happen right now. And I'm, I'm like, I can literally write the next chapter and write the next scene. And that, it's a very um, liberating to be in that mindset sometimes. And then there's sometimes when I'm like the editor, which I'm like, oh, I don't really like when I'm the editor because it's like I'm actually just choosing the things that I want to talk about. I'm like, no, everything about my life should be, you know, free. Um, I shouldn't edit anything out. Um, yeah, I just I think that's the way my brain works. Uh, I can't explain it beyond that. Be beyond just thinking of myself as like a TV show. <laughs> The life of Jamie. I, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the life of Jamie. Do you have any, like, we should wrap this up. It's been like an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have any last words oh, that you to. want to go over or want to say to the audience? That's um, Well, thank you for listening and thank you for having me. No, I think it's been amazing. I think when it comes to growth and the journey of who you think you're going to be, I think just be kind to yourself. Give yourself grace to where you are now in life. Uh, 
think of your think of everything you know with the wandering curious minds and um don't feel so trapped by anything that you think you need to be because you know that might change in a year and that's okay the thing about like again relationship pattern has taught me is that like you are allowed to change your mind tomorrow <laughs> and the day after that and the day after that just give yourself the the leeway and the permission to explore because like there is no such thing, thing as like being a grown up just growing up and and not even growing up but growing through life and i and i that's my whole thing like you'll never grow up you'll just grow through and that's been my mindset and it feels pretty good <laughs> well thank you jamie it. Thank you, Jamie, for your candor um, experience and telling yeah. us all about your life. And we hope uh, we can see you soon and hopefully catch over drinks. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get vaccinated and then um, we'll take shots in your apartment or something. Hey, yo. <laughs> Actually, not, not, not shots. I, I, <laughs> it is oh, Gio's no. birthday, it is Gio's birthday soon, youngin. though, so you do have to take a couple. No, please stop. <laughs> I haven't drank in like three months, man. Um, but with that, yeah, I'll drink one beer and I'll get buzzed. But with that, thank you so much to my cousin Jamie for coming on. Of course, thank and you, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not everyone listening. Thank you, Justin.